Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is the Tive story with my friend, Krenar Kamoni. How's it going? It's great. It's great, Joe. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about today. I am too. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Krenar Kamoni. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> All right. All right. We're off to a good start. We're off to a good Absolutely. start. So, Krenar, please introduce yourself and your company. Yeah, my name is Krenar. I'm the CEO and founder uh, here at Tive. What do we do? We're based here in Boston. We have offices throughout the globe. We're almost 100 people now, above like around 90 or so. We've grown quite a bit. What we do here at Tive is we help companies, shippers, logistics service providers with in-transit visibility of their shipments. But the way we do it is using these trackers that are tiny they just ah. you can see them here but all you do is press a button put it on a shipment it's like a deck of cards it's like a deck of cards uh, a little bit smaller press a button put it on a shipment and we get give customers real-time location of all their shipments throughout the globe independent of truck driver independent of mode of transportation independent of geography but on top of that we also give them condition how hot how wet how cold did somebody open the trailer? Did somebody open the container? Oh, so you give us a little bit of context. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> All in real time. And then we provide a lot of other insights on top of uh, tactical data. Nice. Nice. You know, it's interesting. So often when we talk about visibility, it's kind of dependent on did somebody download an app to their phone or, you know, and somebody says, I can tell you where your your uh, stuff is because it's in that truck. And then you go, that's assuming that that tractor is connected to that trailer, right? That's the first assumption. Yours, yeah. yours <laughs> solves that because you, hopefully you put yours with the freight. Correct. Yeah, it goes with the freight. You load a trailer full of berries. You load a trailer full of asparagus. You load a trailer full of pharmaceuticals, parts, engines, auto parts, doesn't matter, servers. You put this on the top of a, one of the pallets or on every pallet, and you get to know exactly where the cargo is, independent of all the other things. <laughs> Yeah, so you can put it also because it can can it withstand the cold. So if I put it in with some frozen food or some temperature control, doesn't care. Doesn't care. Yeah, you can go down to minus twenty Celsius, no problem. That's super important. I, I've done a lot of training on the Food Safety Modernization Act when it came out a few years oh, ago, nice. and they tell you you have to be able to tell us what that food did. Don't tell us what the tractor did. Don't tell us what the trailer did. Tell us what that pallet did. And I think that's super important. And, and everyone I've talked to who's plays around with that end of it, I mean, shippers yes. struggles because you have to get the, if you get the, if the FDA shows up, they're going to want good answers. You can't say, oh yeah, well, we think it was pretty good. We think that we think the chain of custody kept it cold. Nope. Not good enough. No. Yeah. If you FDA, USDA shows up, right. They want to do an audit. They look at that data, especially around the FISMA requirements that you mentioned, you have to have the data. And what happens is a lot of customers, a lot of shippers are due to cost, right? And tradition, they've used these passive loggers. So they're right. not real time. They're just logging data. But what happens at the end of the shipment, somebody takes that, throws it into the trash, doesn't download the data. So then you, if somebody comes two weeks, three weeks, six months later, you're not going to be able to get that data. And what we've done is we send that data straight to the cloud. So even if you lose this, you're still going to have that data. And right. uh, that's, that's a big, big differentiator. Yeah. When that Food Safety Modernization Act came out a few years ago, I, I did a lot of training for trucking companies, some for food companies, uh, advised some companies. And what was crazy is all the different approaches to solving that problem. But somebody got offline and called me and said, we're a trucking company, but we, we're owned by a big food company, but we're a separate division. And they said, I of course wouldn't mention their name. They said, we had a situation years ago where a truck was supposed to stay frozen during the weekend. And so it was at a terminal and it was supposed to stay, you know, plugged in so it would stay cold and it didn't. So Sunday night they come in and find out, hey, this is way below the temperature or way above right. the temperature it's supposed to be. The, the, the workers find this out. And so what do they do? They plug it in. <laughs> because do you want to be the Grenard and let's just say you and I are in that warehouse that weekend and we're making 20 bucks an hour and, so, and you say, are you going to tell the boss that we blew... Seventy thousand dollars worth of food, or should I? <laughs> right, we we're gonna flip a coin over that one. <laughs> so you could see where that could happen, but maybe even more important than that is, I want to be notified that the food is becoming 
at risk right away. ahead of time. Yeah. Don't tell yeah. me after a thought out and I find out on Sunday night at 8 o'clock at night. Too late. Or or when it arrives and you plug in a USB and you download the data. It's just too late. It's after that. You cannot save a shipment that way. And our, our no. vision, like our goal, and right, it's, it's just we want to be able to actually do something about that shipment and save it. Excellent. Well, we'll get more into that in a minute. But first, I want to know a little bit about you. So I know you have a very interesting backstory. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what kind of kid you were. Oh, <laughs> kid. <laughs> I grew up in the capital city of Kosovo. Uh, of Kosovo. It's a, it's a country not many people know, but like I'm sure you know all the singers like Dua Lipa, Rita Ora, Ava, Max, all these. <laughs> oh, I thought they were. I thought I thought that was Albania. Albania, yeah, but they're they're mostly from Kosovo. <laughs> but so Kosovo and Albania, it's the same language. It's the same language. It's an Albanian language that we speak. So you speak Albanian? Yes, that's what, that was my mother tongue. Yes. Uh, my my mother's neighbors are from Albania, and they are they all the girl, all those kids call my mom grandma, and they are so good to my mom. Oh my so god, awesome. I, I love the Albanians. So, <laughs> but yeah, so that's where I grew up in Pristina. I how what kind of a kid? I guess I was a little bit studious. <laughs> so yeah, you got a lot of engineering degrees. I think you're pretty studious. So when did you come over to the U.S.? I came in 2001, November 20, 2001. I got my visa, I was telling you earlier, September 10, 2001, one day before 9-11. Probably would have gotten a lot harder the day after. Oh yeah, they closed all the embassies. I was pretty lucky. But then my flight got canceled and everything, then they changed it to November. So I came in November. Do you come with your whole family or just you? No, by myself. came as an exchange student you, uh, where you go to like senior year in high school. That's where I came and lived with a host family. Oh, where'd you live? In Vermont. So I landed in Vermont. I landed in Northfield, Vermont. I'm like, oh my God, this is a really rural town. <laughs> one pizzeria, one bank. <laughs> that was a big change for me. I've heard people say that about being an exchange student. Actually, there's a friend of mine. He's a Rhodes Scholar. And oh, nice. he, he said, when we were talking about being Rhodes Scholars, you don't get to choose what university you're at. And he thought he was going to go to California because that's everyone. He says, I'm going to go to USC or UCLA or you know, I'm going to go to one of these schools. And then they say, you're going to Madison, Wisconsin. Correct. By the way, fantastic city, fantastic university, but it's cold. <laughs> and it's not a place that a foreigner dreamed of going, I don't think. And he was from uh, Germany. And he's like, what the hell happened here? <laughs> what am I doing? But but he loves it. So what was give us some of your bits, your I know you had some idea about what America was like. What was your biggest uh, surprise when you got here about the country and the people? Oh, man, my biggest surprise when I got here. Yeah, I guess you imagine this world where it's like New York City, right? And everything looks like <laughs> New York City because that's all you see in the news. And you see on TV and the movies, right? It looks like either Miami, New York, or L.A., <laughs> But then you come... And you're in a rural town in Vermont. <laughs> I'm in Vermont. You go to high school. I mean, at the end, I realized it's just it's every... It's it's a big, big country. That was one surprise that I got. It's a country where you can get right. everything you want. Skiing, desert, <laughs> oceans, right. summer, winter. It's just it's a huge... That's one thing that was surprising, how big the United States Right. I always remember I used to have some people I worked with from Thailand who would come and they would say... Well, while we're here, they'd be here for like a week and they'd say things like, maybe we just shoot over to New York later, like tomorrow. I'm like, no, it's like a 12 hour drive from here. <laughs> and they're like, as Los Angeles closer? I was like, oh, that's like a four day drive. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah, really? <laughs> it's a long way, man. Yeah, that's the thing. Everything was like you go to buy bread and you got to get in a car and go to Walmart or go to Shaw's or somewhere to grocery right. store. That's a big difference, right, too. Everything by foot. So tell us a little bit about your, your education. I know you've got lots of education. So tell us a little bit about where you went to school, what you studied. That's the main reason why I wanted to come to, and I told my parents when I was young, I'm a, the reason why I want to come to the United States is to get a better education. I knew I had it more in me, and I wanted to study. So I did. I went to Norwich University. I did computer engineering and mathematics. I did two majors. <laughs> There's not much to do. It's a private military college. Not many girls, so I really studied. <laughs> and then, and I did my minor in computer science, and then my master's I did at Tufts University here in Boston. Wow! And I studied, <laughs> uh, and I studied electrical engineering. I I always wanted to get deeper into how things work, 
And I really wanted to understand on a chip level how how everything, how does how do those atoms decide what's a one, what's a zero, and how do we actually get to communicate with one another here without any wires plugged into the internet? It's all wireless. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> so I really wanted to get into to how things work. So what was next? Did you go to work after that? Then I worked for multiple startups. And my my first job as a kid was I worked at a TV station back in Kosovo. I was a 3D designer. I designed all the, you know, like when the news comes and these 3D animations. Yeah, I was I was a CAD uh, CAD uh, computer-aided design engineer for a long time. So yeah, I lived that. Yeah, that's awesome. And then I, I that's where I got into startup bug because it was starting a new TV station. And when I came to the United States, I just worked for a lot of startups. I worked for a company called Bitwave Semiconductor. We designed these uh, a chipset for 2G, 3G, 4G radios on phones. Then I started a consulting firm uh, with the CTO at Bitwave Semiconductor. We helped companies like Viasat, Olympus. I was at a, an MIT startup called Ada Devices. I was the first employee there. Two MIT professors that I worked at wow. Bitwave, they called me like, Kernar, do you want to be the, you want to be the first employee at Ada Devices? I'm like, sure. And then what we did is worked on these base stations that go, the cell towers. It's a lot of wireless experience. I don't want to bore you with all of that, but that's what I did. So that was the beginning of your career, or did you go back to school? That, yeah, that was uh, after my master's. I wanted to do a PhD, so I went back to my PhD. I changed it to part-time, and I, I'm ABD, all but dissertation. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. So were all those startups you worked for, were they all in Boston area? Yes. So it's, it's interesting, and maybe you can have some insights on this. So when we think of tech startups, we think of for Silicon Valley or San Francisco, I think we think about Austin, obviously, but I think Boston is probably one of the, it's got to be number number two or three in that list, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, you have the best universities, the best hospitals in this country are here. Yeah. And that's route, what is that? What is it? Route 128 or something? What is that? What is the area within Boston that is considered like the tech or is it all tech? 128 used to be. That's, I think, when the 2000, 2001, 2002 era with the dot com, all the startups were in that route 128 uh which is route 95 area but it's it's now boston it's cambridge cambridge has a lot of startups yep and well we'll get to your startup in a minute well it's hardly a startup anymore but so tell us a little <laughs> bit about more a little more about your career experience before you career highlights before you started tive i would say on the career highlights i just enjoyed understanding as i mentioned how things work and diving here's the beautiful thing right you're, we're talking to one another right now, and we have these phones that we get to go to YouTube, get to go to Netflix, we send emails. They have no wires. And I always wanted to understand how this just, it's a beautiful thing that we, something we don't see, it's completely abstract. Right. And we get to stream megabits and gigabits of data. How does that work? How do you harness these signals that are in the air and turn them into something that you can consume as a user? And it's in front and forefront of that is the, the wireless connectivity piece, the wireless radios, the right. transistors that are, and I always wanted to get, and that was the highlight for me was just understanding, designing those things. It's a beautiful world. Uh, it's abstract, but it's beautiful. <laughs> My mother's in her eighties and she always tells the story about uh, when she was probably, probably in the seventies or eighties, she, she and my father were talking about the future, which would have mobile phones that didn't have wires. And she said, she goes, we were reading it in the newspaper and laughing our heads off because it just was so ridiculous of, of an idea that you could have a phone that wasn't connected to a wire. And, yeah. and it's funny, as I get older, you go, yeah, that, the things that as they happen, you look back 10 years ago and go, yeah, it was amazing when it happened. But you just take it for granted now, like the idea that I could watch a movie on my phone. We had phones not so long ago that you could watch nothing on it. Right? There, yeah. you, you'd be lucky to download something on it. Now... Your point. I'm watching YouTube. And there was another thing that was uh, interesting, and I'm sure you know, it's with Wi-Fi. People were so afraid of security. Security is oh, yeah, much, yeah. More, much more secure, right? Wi-Fi has become really secure. But in the beginning, it wasn't. Oh, yeah. And I, I had this inkling, and I, I always believed, and it's true. People will sacrifice convenience. It will sacrifice security for convenience. It's just that convenience always wins. <laughs> right. I joke about this all the time. We all have like 60 passwords. <laughs> 
the chances of me being hacked are very small compared to the chance of me not being able to get in my account because I have the wrong password. So when somebody says, yeah, that I, I always think, who are you protecting this account from? Basically me. <laughs> You're protecting me from my financial information. Anyway, so yeah. when and why did you start Tive? When and why? I started it in June of 2015. That's why I went and incorporated, but probably was like a month or a couple of months before that when the whole thing started to click. You heard my background is in the wireless space. And in tw- I got, I met my wife. Let me bring my wife into the story a little bit. I met her in 2007. And we, we met in, 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 it was just like a couple of days before Thanksgiving. So around this time, it's been, it's been a while. But I got married and the reason why I married her because her dad was a quote unquote startup person, quote unquote business person. And I knew <laughs> like she's going to appreciate that. She does. She's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> she's a keeper. She won't mind if I work very, very hard because she's seen her dad work very, very hard. And later I realized her dad has got a trucking company. And he would go, sometimes I would actually have to drive his own truck because drivers wouldn't show up. So he would right. go for weeks and on driving. And, but what happened is every time I would go, like this is 2014, 2015, as things clicked. And every time I would go to his house, he would be on the phone trying to figure out where his truck drivers are. And we would have, oh, try yeah. to have dinner. We're trying to sit down and enjoy ourselves. He would be on the phone. Did the person oh, know? Yeah. Did they all know? They wouldn't pick up the phone. He would get frustrated. I'm like, this is crazy. Why don't I just start play around and make a GPS tracker and put it in your trucks. So I started doing that. It was my excitement part was like around June, May of 2015, when I got a text message from the device that I was putting together. I'm like, oh, this is going to (laughs) work into my phone. I'm like, if I can send a text message, I should be able to send GPS data and understand where the truck is. So I started putting these GPS trackers that was building on my own into his trucks built a little app for him and then realized his friend wanted to track his trucks. And I started tracking trucks, but telematics, like, which is the tracking of trucks was a very crowded space. There was so many players in the, in the market. There were so many devices. There's so much competition there. Right. But what I realized was some shippers were putting these temperature loggers on top of pallets. And I would ask this truck driver, Tony, I'm like, Tony, how do they get the data out of this thing? He's like, well, at the end of the shipment, somebody looks at it. I'm like, that's crazy. I'm like, that's after the fact. I'm like, so what? If it's if it's bad, he's like, well, if it's bad, it's bad. I'm like, okay. If it's bad, you throw it out and try and hide it. Because you don't want to tell anyone you wasted <laughs> Or you do that. that. <laughs> or you do that. Exactly. I'm like, we well, got to figure out a way to get this data in real time into the cloud. And I went online trying to look for trackers that were designed for logistics. I found trackers that were two-day, three-day battery life, just black, no buttons with switches. Right. With user interfaces that were not for logistics, Windows 3.1 looking stuff. I'm like, I think this industry needs design first thinking and design something for these users in the logistics space and build trackers and software that works for this space. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to jump in and, and go ahead and figure out a way how to do it. So you were, you had a day job when you made the first few. few- no, I actually, I had a day job and I quit. I left my, I quit my job. I think it was in April or May of that year and then started Tive. And I was doing a little bit of consulting on the side. So half my paycheck would go to pay my mortgage and (laughs) my food for my family. My son was in my wife's belly at that time. (laughs) Right. He he was my, he was, he was, he was born in 2015 and my daughter was three years old when I started Tive. So half of the paycheck would go to food and mortgage and half of paycheck would go into Tive. And add zeros in, in savings, essentially. <laughs> this is why it comes in handy to have your wife used to that already. She said, I oh, know I know how these guys are. <laughs> yeah. she. There was a year where she was like, what are we doing? <laughs> but I'm like, stick with me. <laughs> right. So did you, do you have, did you go get partners? Did you go get funding? Or did you say, hey, we're going to bootstrap this for a while? What was your thinking when you first started in on this? When I first started on it, I'm like, let me try it out. So, and then I started, I'm like, you know what, at the end of 2015, so I started three, four months, things are working, right, a little bit for my father-in-law and that tracking guy. And then I started looking at designing this other tracker that would be battery operated. And I went to look for funding and investors were like, oh, it's too early. You're too early. Who are you? Like, who's Grenard? Nobody knows you. 
right? <laughs> you never had a company before. Oh, you have any employees? No, it was, it's just, I got a lot of no's. And I just, I think I spent, been a, it took me 18 months to get my first funding. I spent probably $50,000 of my own money. Like I was saying, I was taking half, paying half, taking half, right. paying half for those 18 months with no savings. And we, I, I finally hired a couple of engineers to help out in the beginning to do some coding on the software. I finally got my first round of funding in November of 2016. Nice, nice. So it was, it was a hyperplane ventures. The person there, Vivian, he's like, I think I believe in you. He's like, I think you're doing something because I got a pilot agreement with Nokia. Oh, okay. And that was a, it was a good one to track their base stations. And then. God, they used to make all our phones. I had a Nokia phone for a long time. Whatever happened to those guys? That's the thing, right? Think of Kodak. What happened to Kodak? What happened to Nokia? It's sometimes comfort is just not a good thing. And you don't want to be com complacent about, around your success. Getting back to your little device that when you created it, uh, initially, did it, was it just basic and it could just tell you where the, where the truck was? Or was it from the very beginning able to tell you whether the temperature and all the other stuff? From the beginning, I put that uh, just for fun. I put a, put a temperature sensor, an accelerometer. I don't think I had a light sensor. Wait, accelerometer, that's just telling how fast, how fast it went up and then how fast it slowed down? It actually tells you if somebody's moving the tracker or if it tells you like if somebody's shaking it, moving it, it tells you the orientation of the tracker. I'm like, I just wanted to know for my own sake, did somebody move it or is it still staying in that location where I put it in the truck? <laughs> That's really a nice thing to have because, you know, if, if, if you have something damaged and then somebody says, hey, I picked it up, it must have been damaged like this when I pick it up. And then you pull out this tracker and go, Hey, it looks like this pallet got fell off a forklift. Can you tell me how far far it fell off a forklift or came off a shelf or anything like that? Yeah, depending on the what product we're tracking. One thing we do right now is for world's largest companies that build world's largest data centers. I can, you can name them probably <laughs> right, in your head. Right. <laughs> we track their servers today. And what they do is they put this on a server and then we don't just tell them the location, but also tell them if somebody dropped those servers. Right. So tracking is great. I'm, I'm, I mean, and that's a, that's a relatively new thing. And I always think we should never underestimate that because when somebody says, I'm going to make a check call to the driver, I always think, really? I don't want anybody calling a driver. If I'm driving in the expressway and I see a giant truck, I'm always a little nervous. I know they're a good driver. I'm worried about myself and the other guys. I don't want to see him on the phone. I don't want to see her on the phone. And so the idea that we would call them, what, 10 times along the way, that's ridiculous. I don't want to see anyone talking on the phone, let alone a truck driver. So I love the idea that we can track a truck without calling. Yeah. I mean, so we have to be. That that has to be. And then the ELD, ELD mandate helps a lot in, in right. the U.S. government once they did that. And some amazing companies grew from there, right? Samsara, Keep Trucking, Fleetmatics, Network Fleet. I mean, Samsara just went IPO recently. Oh, they're yep. going to go IPO. Sorry, they filed their S1. But that's, that's, that's inevitable. I agree. It, we have to know where these are. So getting back to that, you mentioned ELD, that's electronic logging device. When did that come into effect in 2017, 18? I think uh, two and a half, three years ago, yeah. So I'll give you my two cents on it, and then I want to hear from you. So we always tr ask drivers to track their hours of service, and they did it in okay. books, right? Yes, and, and And the problem with that is potentially somebody could have two books, one book that you give to the cop <laughs> the cop and the other one that is your actual hours that you're going to bill for or and i shouldn't say hours but basically two sets of books and so some truckers always used an electronic logging device some trucking companies always used it but it wasn't the law then they said okay now everybody has to have an eld in your truck and that doesn't apply to um you know final mile doesn't uh, doesn't apply to uh expediting trucks but if you own those big rigs, you had to have that. And it was a big deal. It took years of negotiation to get that all in. And I think I've heard people say that as a result, we lost some hours of service. I think we lost maybe 4 to 8% of our total capacity. But I think what we gained is we have this ELD inside every truck. How does that help you in your business? 
So ELD has been really good for, again, hours of service has been good for safety. Some would say, right, that that was the, the one of the reasons. It's been good for the fleet companies, for all the carriers who have their own fleet to understand where the drivers are. That's great for business in general, right? For visibility, which we're in the, which we're in the industry of understanding where the shipments are. Instead of if you have carriers that are, if you have dedicated trucks and you know where they're shipped, you don't have to put trackers on your own dedicated trucks. Now you know right. where those shipments are all the time. But where we come into play and where we help is a little bit different, right? Shippers where work with multiple carriers, shippers where they go multi-mall, shippers where they have to understand what's happening with their cargo it, and there's cross docking. There's a lot of shippers like that. I think the bar was raised. I think, yes. I think all of a sudden we, everybody thought, oh, this, if that's possible, what about this? And so you guys started saying, yeah, you can, and just your point, it's nice to know where the truck is that's supposed to be moving my freight. It's even better to know where my freight is because my freight might not be on that truck unless the trucker might've was supposed to maybe left my pallet behind, right? I don't know that unless I have something like uh, one of your, what do you call it? A tracker or what do you call it? Tracker, your... yeah. Five tracker. <laughs> so who's the biggest users of, of your technology, your, your trackers? Both shippers and logistics service providers. And when it comes to shippers, a lot of food and perishable customers. So, and why, they, why are they so important? Why do they care so much more? <laughs> I, mean, I know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about FISMA, but imagine. So it. when you say FISMA, that's Food Safety, Safety Modernization Act. FISMA. That's one reason, right? Regulation. But the main reason is really you don't want a load of berries, asparagus, whatever you're shipping to one of the large retailers to get rejected. And if that gets rejected, your brand, let's say Joe Lynch's brand right. of berries, it's going to go into that store. You're not going to have revenue that day. You're not going right. to have revenue that week. Your name is not going to be on the store. And that reputation is very important for you. You want to make sure that those shipments don't just arrive there on time, but they arrive in full and in really good condition. So food and perishable is big. Pharmaceutical is growing quite a bit. As you, we we track AstraZeneca shipments, we track COVID because they have to stay at certain temperature, right? Temp, yeah, NFL, NHL, NBA COVID test kits. We track those, and they need to stay at certain temperatures. People need to know where those are. If, you, you said a few acronyms there. Was you say? Did you say NFL? Yes. What is that? So we track the COVID test kits for NFL, NHL, and NBA. It's through a company which I can't disclose nice. their names, but yeah, we we do that. Nice. So if imagine if those test kits don't arrive on time, then you don't know if the players are good to go. Right. It can cause quite a bit of a, a an issue and a challenge. So this is this is time critical shipments are very important. I also throw this out there when you talk about perishables, that means that at a certain date it can't be sold, and a certain date they won't even put on the shelf. So I'm not going to put something on my shelf that goes bad tomorrow. I'll just forget it, right? So. I think one of the things we this always comes up on my podcast is sustainability, but this is just pure waste. I mean, the idea that we consume, that we create a lot more food, bring it to the bring it, put it through the supply chain, and at some point it goes to waste, is ridiculous. When you think, first off, why did I make it? Make it all go this chicken go all the way through? I killed a chicken for this, and at some point I throw it out. That's ridiculous. Also, when you think about, there's food banks everywhere, and you say. If I was to know this was going to go bad two or three days ago, I could have given it to a food bank. Or you could have done something about it, right? Right. Put it on sale, 30, 35% off, right? Most of, the time, most of the time, it's a reefer setting issue. Somebody sets the reefer instead of at 32, 33, 34 Fahrenheit, they set it at 50, 60 by accident. Right. And you can and tell I remember, them. I remember a pharma... Like it's, this is Celsius. They had a shipment. This happens a lot in but also this was an example a couple of years. They instead of sending it to four Celsius, they set it to negative four because they saw they, right. they saw a little line on the BOL lading on the bill of lading. It looked like a negative. Not cool. <laughs> I do not appreciate you foreigners putting Celsius in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I understand how those things can happen, but the thing is, it's a little thing. Maybe nobody even checks you. I have this temperature. 
And it could be fifty or $100,000 worth of merchandise that potentially goes bad. And again, the bar just keeps getting higher and higher. Thank God. I mean, the Food Safety Modernization Act, President Obama signed into law, I know that had a lot of tails to it. And one of the things was it wanted to be able to, to verify that this stayed the right temperature. So I always use this uh, term. We've all watched the cop shows where they have the chain of custody for evidence. If there's ever a point where you can't prove that that was in the proper evidence, if it left for a day, it's you throw it out, right? With the Food Safety Modernization Act, they need you to prove, and it's the onus is on the food company and their providers. You have to prove that it stayed the proper temperature the whole time. Yeah. And I don't know how you do that if you say, I took it out of our, our uh, refrigerated area, I put it on the dock for a little bit, and then uh, at some point a truck came. I have to prove that chain of custody. So that's what you guys can do for them. Yep. Absolutely. So let me ask a question. So let's just say we got Joe's Berry's, Joe's Berry Company. I'm sure we'll be very successful. I put one of your trackers on every on every pallet or would I do it for every, like, so that one pallet gets less than truckload or do people not even use less than truckload for this? They would only use full trucks, you think? Mostly it's full truckload or full container load. Yeah, less, less than truckload is a little difficult keeping the temperature control. Yeah, um, sometimes if it's multi, multi-zone, we, right. there's some customers who do that. So for LTL, they usually put it on the order. Like if it's right. five pallets, 10 pallets, two pallets, out of the 20 plus, then they put, but usually put it one per order or per, right. per full truckload or, or on an LTL. But on pharma, it's more on ULD side. So, but yeah, that's what you would do. What's ULD? Man, you got me on this one. <laughs> the, it's a container that, it's a small container that goes inside of an airplane. Okay. So instead of the, it's like a small. It's a little refrigerator. It's a little refrigerator or just cooler. If you, you've seen the things that when you load up a cargo inside the airplane, you put it inside this. Yeah, so it's insulated, trailer. insulated, right? So, yeah. so let's just say, do I program that at my location? I mean, that that uh, tracker, and I say this is this is what notifications I want to receive back. Is that how it works? Oh, so how it works is usually as a shipper, you have a warehouse where you're shipping out of, or you have a shed where you're collecting these these vegetables, fruits, and you're loading them up in a truck. You're using some type of a warehouse management system. Yep. That warehouse management system has orders that you've got from a retail store, and then you're loading up those orders. What you do, you scan the tracker on that warehouse management system. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then it's just a barcode. So you got a barcode on the, on the tracker. So, And it's, let's say, it's G123 into warehouse management system with those orders. That gets pushed into transportation management system. Sometimes you can scan it directly into TMS, depending on how you're doing the, the shipments as a shipper. Then you associate that load number, let's right. say load number one, two, three with tracker G123, and then it's all set. You, the PMS just calls APIs, the application programmable yep. interface, which is a, a way to communicate between two right. pieces of software. PMS calls our APIs into our software, tells it start a shipment, this is the tracker, and that's it. We send right. location data back to the TMS. If TMS wants that, uh, otherwise we're monitoring that shipment for for the shipper. That's nice. So so you don't I don't have to worry about somebody having fat fingers and putting the wrong thing in data entry. It scans it right out of what the system said. So so I manage it that way, which is good. So I don't have to I don't have to be a half a programmer to make this work. No. So I put that on there, and then it goes to wherever it delivers. So let's just say it delivers a, one state over. How do I get my tracker back? <laughs> Well, that's the, that's the part that's cool. You, you, you don't have to get it back. So what we do is we, we sell these in three methods, single use, so you don't have to get them back. We can refurbish them. So let's say you're sending it to a retail store where right. 10, 20, 50, 100 a week are going there. We can work with that retailer to actually get those, with that store or location to get those trackers back and refurbish them. So you don't have to. Nice. So I just get... So I just, you just sent me new ones or refurbished ones. It doesn't really matter to me as long as they work. Correct. And then I just, so you, you send once a month, I get a, a, a shipment from Tive, which Correct. you know how to, which you know how to track. <laughs> and <Yes>. uh, <laughs> when I receive those, I just put them on. I like this because I don't have to worry about getting it back that way. Cause uh, the, one of the things I've heard people talk about over the last few years is I'm trying to get the retailer to put this in an envelope and send it back to me. And not having a lot of success <laughs> and then having the trucking company send it back to me 
we work with re retail and what we do is we say, hey, if you're getting a lot of these, we'll give you money. We'll give you dollars per tracker, a few dollars per tracker. And, and that works quite well. So what is the, if you don't mind me asking, what is that tracker? Let's just say I lost one of your trackers. What do I owe you? <laughs> <laughs> well, usually it's in the 40 to $50 range, depending Which on. Which is not bad because given the value of what I'm moving. I mean, if I'm moving, again, 50 or $100,000 worth of goods. Right. Let me say it's, let's just throw it out there. Like if it's mobile phones or servers or something, it could be millions of dollars, right? Correct. It could be millions of dollars if it's, if it's iPhones. And I'm not going to say which phones, but we track some smartphones. Well, I think also I want to know the temperature. I also want to know if, if you hit a lot of bumps and I got servers on there. If somebody says, hey, did you, this truck go off-roading? What happened? <laughs> Why is it? Uh, what did you do to me here? And the shipping cost, the freight cost is so high now. It's like, this is nothing. It's insignificant right. in my opinion. It's, it's the bar is For the value. Yeah. The bar just keeps going higher. I say this sometimes on my podcast when I joke about this, but it's really not the joke. 50 people in a row wanted to be on my podcast to say, I want to talk about visibility. I was like, we can't all do it all day long. There's other topics. But what I started to realize is that there's a spectrum on one spectrum. Joe says, uh, yeah, I'll give you visibility. I'm, we make check calls all day and we, we update the system. That's visibility. And then on the other far extreme, I have Kronar says, no, no check calls. We got, we got a tracker on that shipment. And I can tell you not only where it's at, but how it's doing. The temperature. Yeah, cost, effect, cost effective tracker, how it's doing at 99.99% reliability on knowing exactly where things are. So do, the, do people use these for overseas shipment? Like if I'm receiving stuff from China? Yeah, those servers that are coming from China. <laughs> so we're tracking those. We track we, all over the globe. These trackers work on almost all 200 countries. and So you can track it from anywhere? Anywhere. We can go over ocean. They can go more than 90 days on a battery life. Did people start calling and say, hey, um, my shipment just seems to be stuck about a mile away from the L.A. port. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. I mean, those we have so many opportunities on the overall logistics and supply chain that we need to fix. I was thinking the other day, I woke up, I'm like, this world, the entire planet, if we can think of it, like I know we have governments, we have states, we have countries, we have nations, right. we have a lot of things. But if we just, all of us think of it as a one giant startup, imagine as the whole planet is one giant company where we're all working together, trying to figure out how to make it better. It, it just, supply chain is a big system, right? It's a big connected system oh, yeah. that needs to, to get better, needs to get digitized. And I think the first thing you do to make any system better, you start measuring things. No, I'm a, I'm a big believer in KPIs. And I always say, only the very best metrics grow up to be a KPI. I don't want, don't show me 30 <laughs> like metrics. <laughs> don't show me your 30. Every once in a while, I go to a warehouse and somebody says, here's what we measure. And I always say, when you're measuring 30 things, it tells me that I, I don't really have a sense for things. Show me four or five. I, that's all I want to see. Four or five. Uh, is it on time? You know, for our business, is it on time? What percentage are on time? I want some sort of cost metric. I want a damage metric. I, and I, I'm right now, I say we need a sustainability metric. Measure empty miles, something. Four or five things. That's it. And um, I think also, like uh, right now, you mentioned the opportunities. I had Ali Raza and Seth Page from Throughput. And one of the things they talked about over there is 30% of the stuff we create in supply chains goes to waste. And it depends on what business you're in. But we're creating in supply chains, 80% of the greenhouse gases on earth is created by supply chains. That's us. The only matter of time before all of our partners say, help me. And I think one of the things we have to be better with our information. So if somebody tells you that 30% of the stuff we create doesn't add value in anybody's life. What does that tell you? That's that's food that doesn't get eaten. That's that's sweaters that never get worn. That's auto parts that never made it to an auto, right? We have to do better. And I think it all begins with information. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if you read this. This was like a couple of days ago. It was three, two weeks ago, a week ago. The MIT took all the data around trucking because they work right. very close with DAT and all these uh, companies with load boards. 40% of America's tracking capacity is left on the table every day. Yes. Andrew, Let I think Michael or Andrew Leto said on my podcast that the average, the average deadhead, you know, the average backhaul was 150 miles away. 
And I know Andrew says this when he talks on any podcast, you'll hear him say it is the truck that picked up the load at your facility was probably not the best truck to pick up at your facility. Somebody could have been dropping off two, two buildings down. That guy's going a hundred miles to get on the other load. He could have gotten the load at your place. And it's just a matter of getting all that information available. And again, it's uh it's crazy because we we're driving lots of empty miles and that that's just talking about domestically. That's not even getting into the international. I think of all the right. waste in international, I spent a long time in China and Mexico, Thailand, moving things back and forth to the U S there's a lot of waste. I'll, I'll tell you another thing when it's one month on the ocean, sometimes by the time it gets to the country, it's an obsolete part. That's so crazy to me that we do business this way. Yeah. And ocean shipping is the, what happened is this is another thing that I learned right during the 2008, 2009 crisis. What they did is they just slowed down all the ships to save on fuel because the only way they were going to reduce expenses was reduce OPEX and so slow down ships. So instead of taking 11 days, now it takes 14, 15, 16, 17 days to get from right. from Asia to here. But now you got other issues, of course. Right. Right. We got other that that that's a small issue today. So I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about your company. So your company, you've got a lot of employees now. It's not just yeah. it's not just you doing uh, trackers <laughs> for your father in law. You've you have a lot of big customers. You and uh, as you've grown, talk a little bit about some of the the key events along the way. I mean, I'm assuming you're not working from your uh, your your garage anymore. You've got a building that and uh, yes. Tell us about some of those those inflection points. Inflection points. I would think the the one the first one was fundraising, so that was a really good inflection point back in twenty at end of twenty sixteen. Just having external party investors believe in me and believe in the concept was a was a huge inflection point and gave me a lot of boost no matter what to keep going. The other inflection point that I am very proud of was early end of twenty nineteen, early twenty twenty when we released the new new tracker, which is this one with a single use concept, but we really hit product market fit. And when you hit product market fit, you don't just know it, you kind of, you feel it. And it's the <laughs> best feeling in the world when customers call you and ask you for the product and you just want to buy it like a week later. So that was a big inflection point. So you weren't single use before you were, you were trying to get them all back every single time, right? We were, yeah. Oh, so you so you realize this is a fool's errand. I can't stand this anymore. <laughs> I mean, it's not a fool. It's a good it's a good business model, but it doesn't solve the world's problems. Right. Well, I just I just envision how difficult it is to when you say I got to call somebody and say where are those, and then yeah. at the same time you're like, do I really want my team doing that, or, or I want them creating the next great one, right? Exactly. And then as a shipper, you're doing everything you can to move your load from point A to point B. Now you got to worry about this other thing to bring it from B to A. <laughs> Forget it. It's, just, it's not it's not worth it. So in 2019, you had, so funding was a big deal. And then um, this new, the latest and greatest tracker was a big deal. I know you, when we were prepping, you talked about partnerships. Have you always had those partnerships with the visibility companies? Yeah, they've become stronger over the last few months and years for sure. But since the beginning, I've been, I've been, I've been in touch with uh, the CEOs of all the visibility companies and we created really good partnerships. Actually, I'm very thankful for Jet at Project 44, Matt at Forkites. They also believed in this concept. They were building business. So talk about how they work with this. I'm not even sure how that works. They work with this because they, if you, you mentioned ELD, right? So they do an amazing job at pulling data from ELDs and other data sources, understanding where customer shipments are. But when they need to know exactly what's happening with a cargo or if a customer says, you know what, I know you're giving me amazing visibility, but I need this last percentage. I need to get to 100% visibility or I need to understand what's happening with a cargo. Who do you recommend? They say Tive. And then what we do is we integrate with them if a customer is using. So if, if a customer is using 80% of their shipments going through Project 44 or Forkite and we want to add data to that and provide some additional data, we, we do that. But a lot of our customers, we have almost 300 customers and almost 90% of them or more than 90% just use our platform, our software to watch shipments in like launch shipments, do all of that. But there are customers that we work with that use project 44 or 4 
I got to think that if we're ever going to get where we want to be completely, all these systems probably have to be connected. Because again, there is, there's just so much opportunity when you just find out, find out I can save this much money by knowing where my stuff's at. And uh, somebody was on my podcast the other day and they said, the number one question in this business is where's my stuff? The second is where's my money? And, 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 and somebody posted this on LinkedIn. I thought it was a very interesting point. They said, if you're a, a supply chain guy like me, we always talk about order to cash, right? How yeah. fast can I go from the time I get the order till the time I get paid? That's what I want. And when we talk about visibility, we, it's more of kind of an operational function. But when you think about it, all of us who are supply chain guys, we want our money faster. So if I can take out these non-value added steps, if I can take out wasted steps, if I know where my stuff's at all the time, I can save valuable days and weeks. I mean, it's not just uh, it's not just to make somebody's job easier so tracking stuff. It's to make more money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's it's also less. I mean, money and headaches. Make more money and reduce your headaches. <laughs> right. So you talked about these inflection points. First, you got funding. Secondly, you yeah. just talked about the relaunch in 2019, and I imagine you're working on the next one and all these partnerships. So, what were some of the turning points, the good and the bad, the ones that you go, oh my God, it was a horrible lesson learned. My hair started going gray that day. (laughs) I wouldn't say it was a horrible lesson, but it was a lesson. And the lesson that we learned, that I learned a lot, is that we had spent close to $5 million of investors' money, and we had very, very little sales, maybe in tens of thousands of dollars in sales, which was yeah, that happens to tech companies. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a, a difficult point because we were running out of money. And in July of 2019, what we had is we had $20,000 in the bank. We were six, seven employees. And one thing I believe it is transparency. So I was open with everybody and I told everybody that we're running out of money. I'm going to go to half pay. All of us are going to half pay for the next few weeks. And I'm going to do whatever I can to go find another $100,000 to continue to keep the lights on. And then I did, we did that, called around close to 150 angel investors. We found another 100K and then raised 600K immediately. Usually once you get the first one, it's much easier to get the rest. But it was a really difficult time. And uh, right. we made it through, but that made us stronger. And the reason it made me stronger and made the company stronger because we said no to everything else. And we focused only on one thing, which is figuring out a way how to make the customer happy and how do we give customer the value today and not a year from now, two years right. from now, three years from now. And we started generating revenue right away. Uh, and things just since then, since July, I would say August of 2019, we haven't had a quarter that's been less than the previous quarter. Nice, nice. So it was a wake up call. It was a big wake up call. It's interesting. I talk to a lot of um, founders. And one of the things I always think about when I, I talk to founders like yourself is how close they were to failure. And, and a lot of times that they'll describe their entire journey as a series of failures until then one day they were successful. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think people don't realize, you know, when they see someone like very successful like yourself, the the bumps and bruises and the setbacks along the way, they just go, well, the guy's really smart. He went to engineering schools and then he just... There was a a eureka moment and then bam, success. (laughs) I wish, I wish. But you really, as an entrepreneur, you got to have grit and you got to be able to face failure straight in the eye and fear to straight in the eye and go through it. That was the time. How do you deal with failure and fear then? It's okay. I think when you fail, you just got to be okay with it. And uh, you cannot cannot go down on yourself and and beat yourself up because you're not going to get anywhere but beat yourself up a little bit, but not too long. And then you look at fear in the eye and say, I have to just go through it. We cannot be fearful because fear is just a- It's It's paralyzing. It's paralyzing, it doesn't help you. So it's either a deer in the headlight or you run away or you just go through it. And there is no other better way than going through it. And I always believe that the ones that are successful are the ones just just one more step, one more step. And that's what I, if you never give up and you do just one more step every day and you get a little bit better than yesterday, I think you're going to be fine. Right. I worked in my family business and I remember struggling with some of that in the past and we, we failed ultimately, but then I started other businesses. And one of the things I always say is you got to get in the, the habit of when there's, when you hit a wall, 
you can start to explain to yourself why this is not going to work and why we have to retreat. And then, and the other way is if you just say, okay, there's a problem, we're going to fix it. What are the solutions? You can go either way. And I've done both. I think we've all done both where you're like, this is it. This is the end. I have to tell the wife, I have to go the, you know, and then the other way, which is, all right, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and we should be out of this. <laughs> right? so, and I realized one thing you, uh, you asked a really good question. Why, right? Why did this happen? Why, why is not the right question when you're <laughs> facing fear? Because there is no answer. There is no answer to why. Maybe you could have done something differently, all of that, but it's what are we going to do right now? I also, I also think with the fe- our fear mechanism is the fear is now it's not I'm not, I'm not going to be killed by a mountain lion I'm not going to be uh, devoured by the tribe <laughs> next to us this is fear usually uh, of ego like oh I got to tell somebody I failed I, I got to pay a bill late that that is not the same as uh, the fear that our ancestors had right you know the the fight or flight I don't have to f- I don't have to fight or flight I just have to make an, an uncomfortable phone call <laughs> correct yeah so. So why, why do you think your company has succeeded? Oh, you got to go. I believe that we've succeeded because of culture. I really believe we have an amazing culture here at Tive, and we have great values and transparency being one of them. And I would say one of the main reasons why I've been successful is because we've been very, very transparent with one another. Nice. And two is because we just, we, we left fear on the, like we, we, we were not, we're not afraid. And the reason why we're not afraid, because we're transparent, we look at things exactly how they are and say, you know what, we're going to deal with it, move on and do whatever we can to live another day and now thrive another day and grow <laughs> more and scale. It's a survive. survive. <laughs> it's time another day. So time another day, yeah. So I know I'm going to lose you. So let's let's wrap this bad boy up. What's next for Tive? Uh, what's next for the visibility industry? And what's next for you? For the industry, I believe it's more digitization. It's just more data. We need to, to, to measure more. We need to understand exactly where every single cargo is. And I think that's gonna, it's gonna, we're in that. Again, if I think of the world as a startup, we're gonna make this world startup more efficient than it is today. The, inter- the systems that are connected that's running this startup is supply chains. And in order to get them better, you gotta have more data and measure things. And I believe our companies in that initial stage of measuring and there's a lot of amazing things that are going to kind of come after that. And we're doing some innovative things on the hardware. We're doing amazing things on collaboration with software. Uh, we're doing a great things with our 24-7 monitoring team to help alleviate a lot of people that people hire to understand what's happening with the shipments. Great things coming for our company to make this world a little bit more efficient than it is today, much more efficient later on. And then for me, I just want to become a better leader. I want to serve our people that we have here in the company as best of my ability. So they have the ability to grow and become who they want to become. And this is the company that I want that uh, for, for all of them throughout the globe, whether it's in Kosovo, whether it's the United States, whether ah. it's in Germany, Netherlands, Australia, we have employees everywhere. I want the people that are here at Type to really become their full potential of who they're going to become and hopefully leave a legacy one day. I think you. I think you're well on your way. It seems. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine. I was. We were talking. I, I kept thinking this is still in so much in the infancy. We always think in terms of this is what we have now. Isn't this great? We can track this. Who knows what those trackers will be doing in the next generation or so? Correct. This is getting started. <laughs> so let's wrap this bad boy up. What I'll do is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile. And I'll put a link to Tive and any other uh, links you give me, I'll put those links in and so people can reach out and uh, talk to you or your team over at Tive. Awesome. Joe, I really appreciate it. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.